1: episode 473 of the barcelona podcast brought to you by the blue wire podcast network i'm Dan hilton and i have the pleasure of being rejoined as in the same guest for multiple shows by ines braga Sempayu from renaissance because the only thing better than previewing a champions league final is talking about a barca victory in a champions league final but more importantly than the game of course ines how are you doing today
2: Hey there. I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's uh, I've got a day off, so that's always good. And I'm in the company of my three dogs, so that's been better. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah,
1: gra- greatly, greatly appreciated by the puppies and by the dogs and just by the, by the calm that comes after a Champions League final has been put to rest. So okay. let's talk about that one. A 3-2 comeback, historic comeback victory for the Barthes Femini. And diving right into the games, diving right into the game, I should say, Stylistically, and talking about kind of the boring part first with the tactics, you were very, very right on your assumptions on your guest, Ines, that Wolfsburg were a lot more dangerous than I think a lot of experts, and myself included, kind of anticipated going to that match, and more so that those contrasting styles were on full display over the course of those 90 minutes.
2: Thank you for uh, for those words, but also like talking against me now. I expected, because I think this final uh, was very much about what Barcelona didn't do in, in the first half, and then what they did in the uh, in the second half. And of course, when you don't do some things, some very important things, then you then yeah, you you you're opening space for very dangerous players that Wolfsburg have to you know to do their thing. Um, and I think in the first half, a key player, and and now I'm like complimenting. Wolfsburg, a uh, key player was Lena Obadov. She's one of the best players in the world, and I think you know she was key to really keeping the Barcelona midfield under control. And then I did not expect Mariana to be the false nine, and I think that actually hindered Barcelona's game a bit because she didn't have as much uh, freedom to 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 roam around. And I think the uh, the the Wolfsburg team was very ready for whatever barcelona would do and they were always on mariona because they under they realized that she is uh we talked about that she is the disruptor of barcelona team so they were always always on her and i think lena uberdorf was key in that as well as controlling aitana but then in the second half um barcelona you know there was a a small adjustment, especially, you know, with Mariona being moved to the wing more and Salma Par- Paraguelo being on the center. And I think that really helped because Mariona had more space. She wasn't as encumbered. Yeah, encumbered. And, um, and Aitana, and then Aitana was key as well because, you know, she, she kept driving Lina Oberdorf away from where the ball was and especially away from Mariana which allowed Barcelona to you know to move the, the ball more freely, to make better decisions because I think in the first half their decision making and, and the execution execution as well, they were very very off lots of rash decisions, lots of uh, misplaced passes, lots of misplaced shots as well. And in the second half it was completely different. It was a Bar- Barcelona we, we know. And I think that was, you know, that was key for uh, for winning the final. And then you have Patrick Guijarro, who is also an amazing player. And she really, I think it was her best game playing as Alexia so far. Because uh, that second half, she really did everything that Barcelona requires Alexia to do. And yeah, and then she scored the goals, which is also an Alexia thing. So I, you know, tactically, tactically, it... Really dependent on what Barcelona did in the second half, and of course, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the first half with Lucy Bronze's mistake. I mean, you can't again, you can't make those kind of kinds of mistakes when you have such talented attackers against you, like Eva Payor, Jans Dottir, Alex Pop. I mean, that's that's it's it's suicide, so to speak, but. Barcelona managed to, to turn it around. And by the way, I, I found it very strange that the Wolfsburg manager wouldn't play um, Brand because I think she could have been a very good threat uh, against Barcelona. So good for Barcelona that he didn't do that. And mm-hmm. all, good for Barcelona as well that Gécy, uh came in because she really helped uh, get the game under control at a key moment. So, I think what what Jonathan Giraldes did to respond to, you know, to the disadvantage is what um the the, the Wolfsburg manager didn't do when he was in, you know, in troubled waters. So, good on Jonathan Giraldes as well.
1: Yeah, well, in in I think you hit most of the major points from the match. So I want to actually jump in and dive into some of those even deeper, of course, to kind of break down again exactly the almost the play by play of how this went down with this historic comeback. So first and foremost, the point you made about the first half, the numbers also bear fruit to that. The xG for Barcelona that first half was over two point seven, while Wolfsburg was at like a oh point three, judging by the shots that they had, fifteen to three, and then you know you look through barcelona's campaign and it was a very similar thing to roma where barcelona had a ton of goals the difference was roma didn't didn't score the goals that that wolfsburg did and people did say in that in previewing that match that there was a recipe to beat barcelona and there always is a recipe to beat the idea of barcelona right and and, and, and we're team now we're in the world it. Right. We're crossing between men and women, of course, here. But the idea of a Barcelona team that wants to pass around you, that wants to use their superior technical ability and superior positional play to find pockets of space and then break you down because they're better than you. And that is, again, the the ideal of what Barcelona wants to do to beat an opponent. And that is why in the first half, it wasn't working. And that's how Barcelona has... The idea of Barcelona, uh, again, men or women, have lost in the past. That's how it looked like it would happen again. And more importantly, when I say happen again, it was almost flashbacks to last year's Champions League final against Lyon, where a mistake by last year, it was the goalkeeper in Panos, as well as trying to think who the other one who made, it was one of the defenders who made the mistake. And it leads to the first goal very early on by Lyon. Barcelona get punched in the mouth, and then they do not recover. As opposed to this year, they get punched in the mouth, and they do recover. And going on that, um, the idea of Lucy Bronze, because... It's been a really interesting debut for Barcelona this season because those who have watched consistently match in and match out, they have sung her praises, but they've also been pretty honest about the mistakes that she's made. Do you feel like, this is just about Lucy Bronze, do you feel like those who are putting her on the Champions League team of the season, or again, especially English-speaking media, who it seemed like ESPN FC, and I, I say them by name, but basically brands that are trying to reach a global or English-speaking audience really put her on a pedestal About I mean for, for being part of, of history-making English national team sides, for having previously won with Lyon, and kind of almost completing her legacy a bit by winning with Barcelona as well and putting her on that pedestal. Do you think it's fair or do you think it is just an inflation of the English media to say that Lucy Bronze was as important as significant to Barcelona as it seems like she is when the dust settled? Because, again, you're contrasting that with many of those who've watched her all season long and saying that, you know, the mistakes that she made in the final were not necessarily completely uncharacteristic, but she wasn't as good as everyone says that she was. So, I mean, where do you stand on Lucy Bronze's first year in a Barcelona uniform? Because, again, I, I think it depends on if you were watching every match or if you kind of wanted to jump on board. But it, but again, the counter argument is that she's not or she has not been as poor as I mean, certainly, of course, she's not as been poor as the final showed her to be. But she's been I, I mean, not as impenetrable as some are, are are saying that she has been.
2: I think uh two things can be true. Um Lucy Bronze has a legacy that no one can never deny you know she's making history i think she's one of the uh, great right backs in the game but she's also getting older and you know some of those mistakes you could see that she was uh for example struggling speed wise you know against uh wolfsburg's uh very fast attackers and that has happened in the league as well you know you lose some qualities as you age and me and uh i like I, I do think she's one of one of the greats as a right back in the women's game. But you also have to take into account that you know the game is growing, it's developing, and young younger players are getting better and better. And that is not to say that the I mean Pop is uh, you know unmatchable. Greats like Amandine Henry, Louisa uh Nadine Kessler, those will always be you know absolutely greats of the game. Uh, Jennifer Marojan as well, but also you know especially defensively the game is developing and maybe some fragilities that some players have or have always had are starting to show a little bit more and also again players age so you lose some qualities or some or you can't make up for you know some of your flaws as well as you could uh, before and i think you know lucy, lucy browns was never like the perfect defender the perfect right back and um you know but that doesn't take away from her being really good and one of her being you know historical she's got a legacy but yeah her first year at barcelona was it's like it wasn't as bad or as good as you know those mm-hmm. two sides of the debate have been saying and then there's something to say also there's something to be said also about like the british media which with all due respect of course it's and and I think it's uh, a British media thing in in general terms, not just about football, and and it's natural because you tend to you know uh, overvalue what's your own you know what's yours, and every country does that. If a, a French player for, played for Barcelona, you know they would they would be valuing that player. Even more than everyone else would be valuing them, and I think that's perfectly natural because you tend to value what's yours. That said, no, she has not been that good, in my opinion, in her first year. But she's also like she's she's world class, of course. So she hasn't been as bad as you know those first few minutes of the of the, the Champions League final made her out to be. But yeah, I,
1: I think she also hasn't been completely fit. I think has been a major yeah, part of that too. Definitely. I mean, she clearly didn't look. and I think in a perfect world I mean Marta Tarhon remember is also a captain and I I think part of her not starting Marta was probably part of her say as well like she trusted Lucy Bronze in a big match in an important match in that situation yeah of course again the coaching staff as well but certainly if they felt like she wasn't 100% to go they wouldn't have started her because she did have moments too like she did have moments it was the goal three minutes in of course Pio grabs it. And then it was also a pretty powerful, pretty terrific shot as well. Pinos had nothing to do. And then the 69th minute was the other bronze moment where bronze loses it, uh, dispossessed again, and Volsberg broke out four on three and Pio went with the shot. 69th minute. But she also had like,
2: tape. she also had like one moment where she put, uh, Salma Paralhuelo alone in front of goal. So, you know, she had, it, yeah. it had ups and downs, but I also think that like Lucy bronze coming to Barcelona, it was always going to be a short, medium term thing because I think the real, real target for Barcelona is the one that is probably coming this year, uh, and that's Onavaje. So I think it was always like to 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 uh, fill up this void until uh, Onavaje came so i think that's what's yeah. gonna happen
1: yeah and for those for those who are unaware uh, around women's football that is a manchester united player yes but also a a spanish national or a spanish international regular and a player that not to say is returning home but in a sense is returning home yeah, to, and she to started
2: skate. she started off in barcelona as well so right. yeah i think that's that was always the main goal to gain on, on a budget. and then you know well, until she came, Lucy Bronze is a, a world-class you know, fit for that. So I think we, we always have to put things in perspective. And again, it, she wasn't as bad as the final made her out to, to be. And she isn't as good as maybe you know, she's has you know, for being heralded as the very best uh, right back uh, in Europe yeah. right now. Because I, I don't think she is, even though I do think she's great.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of?
1: Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol, or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season, you hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Linen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tbpod, all lowercase, Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash tbpod. Well, yeah. So let's go through to that second half now. Again, credit and a lot of credit is going to be given rightly to Patri because Patri, very much like Alexia, very much like Aitana, the Barcelona homegrowns, if there is one thing that you can say about them, it is that they play best when the lights are brightest and they show up. Itana last year, two years ago in the final to help Barcelona win the Champions League last time. And then Patre this time with the two goals with those late runs, especially. The the third woman runs were essential in that second half in the game. There were some of them in the first half, but as you mentioned, once Mariona was switched to be a bit wider, Pariello, who is not a natural four, a uh, number nine, if you will, comes into that space and occupies, yeah, again, occupies that space a bit better to take the attention of that back line so that Potbury can make those runs coming in from the midfield which is how those two goals are scored. The first goal was also scored because as as I kind of mentioned Caroline Graham Hansen while she didn't have the game that I thought she might have. Caroline Graham Hansen getting by three players is how the first goal happens. Like let's not I'm not disparaging Patrick being in the right place at the right time. She still had to finish it. She still had to get it right, <laughs> but CGH put it on a platter for having got by three. And that was kind of her moment though. That was kind of Caroline Graham Hansen's moment because other than that I mean the one thing that that being Wolfsburg also did was putting John Stodier on the side that they did to start the match and then kind of recognize that a mistake was made because John Stodier against Ralph on the right was a bit surprising I mean you you kind of get it because you don't want to have her on uh, I mean I, I I'm wondering why they wouldn't have wanted her on her a more comfortable left side to start B, to have her against Lucy Bronze. Like, I mean, I think the only argument is that while Jones Zadir didn't have the impact on the game that you would have expected, that's because Pop playing kind of off of Pio instead from that left and center part, where, I mean, you want to get the best out of those two, which is how they did. They got up to nothing, So either, I guess they were willing to sacrifice Jones Adir, who I found to be really essential to what they wanted to do. But I also think Rolfo, to put her up against Rolfo was dangerous for her because once she kind of must say tired, but that's what Barcelona is when they have the ball is that they turn, I'm going to use the word, the first word here, and I'll keep using throughout the rest of the show now, inevitable, that once Barcelona continued to have the ball in that second half and those legs for Wolfsburg got a bit tired, as you mentioned, they waited way too long to make any pivotal subs. It wasn't until after the 79th minute, when Mariona and CGH came off for Pina and Cezagocevic, when legs came on for Barcelona, Wolfsburg still hadn't blinked and still did not put on players after, again, they spent 79 minutes at that time chasing the ball. And again, I think that Joan Zadier, maybe she should have switched sidelines a bit quicker for Pop, uh, maybe earlier in the second half when Barcelona scored those two goals. But I, those I are think, just like little things that I, I wonder if they could have done differently.
2: I think uh, with Jan Zadier, on the right, I think the decision was more uh, defensive than offensive in terms of, mm. you know, because I think it was meant to keep Holfo under control. And they managed that because truth is, Holfo was basically non existent in the first half, as were some of the Barcelona players. I'm not targeting her specifically, but, you know, it was okay, here's like the one player in the world who's faster than you. Because Jan Zotter is faster than Holfo, who is so fast herself, so they yeah. they were like, okay, we're trying to you know hamper uh, uh speed and her like her going forward, and they managed that because Holfo was very discreet in the first half, but also while doing that, they also because you know it's it's always you know you make one decision and it's 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 never like it's uh, we call it in Portuguese like a blanket with holes. Kind mm-hmm. of which which means that, you know, or like a short blanket, because if you pull on one side, another side is gonna, you know, is gonna be uh, uncovered. And that's what happens with football, like you take risks in, in one way, and then in some other part of the field. You're gonna pay the consequences of those risks because you can you can never like have 100% of the field covered and you know you can't be 100% effective. No team is 100% effective, and I think you know placing Jan Zotter on the right uh, helped control have uh, Fidelina Holfo under control, but also really diminished her ability uh Jonsot's ability to you know to 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 make a difference which she usually does and really diminished their firepower of course when you have fire and pop on the other side it's like okay but you have lose too but still you know i think she could have done more net damage definitely on on the left and she could have explored Lucy bronze but also like when you have uh, prior on the left, you can also explore uh, Lucy Bronze's, uh, you know, uh, shortcomings, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think it was very much um, a matter of let's not let them do this instead of let's do what, what yeah, we usually do. Fit,
1: of course. Yeah, I mean, that fit the style too. So, yeah, and then let, let's talk about the second and third goals as well. I, I mentioned C.G. 8 on the first one, but it was Aitana on the second one. The defender could have done a lot better, but the defender jumps in for the fake on the cross. It was just a nice, beautiful feint by Tana. Again, gets the defender flying, and then the cross into an unmarked Patri. You got to pick her up again on that late run for the open header or shoulder, wherever the ball hit, didn't matter. Patry gets a, gets a brace and Barcelona are back in business. Again, that one happened just a minute later after the first one. And that, I mean, with the comments that the players made in post-game and after the fact, they admitted that it was mental. That first goal, once the the dams opened up, the second goal was coming. And Barcelona, they, I mean, let's say that they owned their destiny at that point. That's why a minute later they score. And then you got the sense from that point on, it wasn't a matter of how, or it wasn't a matter of if, but when that third goal was going to come. But I think the the third goal, credit to to, to the manager, credit to Garalsdans for the choices he made as well. You mentioned the sub that changed that game, and people will remember Alexi Butte is coming on in the 89th minute, along with Engen to close out that game. They were brought on. Now, everyone thought it was just symbolic to bring Alexi on, but then she had to defend for seven minutes. <laughs> she had she still had work to do, so it's not like she did nothing in the game. But the one that changed everything, that substitute, was JC coming on for Paiello, because seconds after that sub happened, seconds after it, Wolfsburg can't clear their lines and Barca get the go-ahead goal, because... The minute JC came on, she came on shot out of a cannon and Wolfsburg were not prepared, as I mentioned, with those tired legs to defend her speed and the intensity at which she entered that game. And A, that's a credit to the player herself for being prepared to come into the match with that level of intensity. We saw actually yesterday, I, well, I will not be covering it with a guest. I'll have the five headlines for Celta DeVigo after this audio. If you're listening to the audio version of this, if you're on the video, just check out the video that I already put on the channel for that that breakdown. But looking at the, the the Celta match, Barcelona made their subs. Inaki Pena winds up giving up a goal. I mean, he could have done a little bit. He couldn't have how do I say this? He he probably you know can't be too much defaulted for, it. but anyway Barcelona make the subs immediately, sell the score, what winds up being the winner. But for the Femini, it was a complete opposite where they, the subs were completely prepared to come on the game every time that they entered that contest. As I mentioned, including Pina and Sergej Gorcevic knew exactly what they needed to do coming on in like for like positions as well. But again, Jay Z being shot out of a cannon allowed Verdiyona with her, with that being JC, kind of being ever where she needed to be in those seconds. Mary going to crashing to the center, as you mentioned, Wolfsburg with a rough mishit. Patri pokes it over to Rolfo, and then she finished against her old, old club. Basically making your own luck. In the box, create some confusion, bring out that intensity, bring your legs, and then finish the way Rolfo did. And then that winds up being the game winner. And again, at that moment, you felt like, Yeah, that's the game winner. There's less than 20 minutes. Well, at that point, there was 25 minutes, but we didn't know that. There was still 25 minutes left in the game. But yes, it felt like Barcelona had taken control of that. And then another big talking point to that point, though, Ines, is that many Kool-Aids, again, who primarily just watch the men's team, many who are listening to this, again, don't even have access to watch the women's team regularly. I watch them when available. But here in the United States, they're not always available, right? So you're just, we're not on that journey with them game in and game out. So many Kool-Aids and they have a since, some of them have since apologized on social media and the like, because they got the feeling that this is Europe and this is Barcelona, regardless of men or women's team, that there's this thing that's going to happen. But they forgot the word that you said. And I have my own word. I use inevitable. You use ruthless. And that is the thing that separates the Barca Femini over the last four seasons from the men's team. The Barca Femini are the best thing that are happening at the, at the club at the moment and have been for the last few seasons now winning two Champions League finals in, in four years because, because this team has a switch to flip that they can flip. And they did it halftime. That flip, I mean, you could see they came out halftime. And they said, okay, the difference here is that we are better and we haven't put the ball in the back of the net. And the difference is going to be we're going to put the ball in the back of the net. And there is a mentality to them. There is a strength to them. And there's also a way where Unlike it seems like the men's team in Europe where they're like, OK, we made these mistakes because that's who we are. And then they sink into that shell. And uh, the, the femininity were different because CG eight said it after the fact, too, that they did have those fears. They did see Lyon in their mind's eye. They did think about last year's Champions League final. And they went, oh, no, is that happening again? But instead of wilting, instead of letting it happen again, they did the complete opposite. And they seized that game. And they won that game. They took that game from Wolfsburg, who were up 2 nothing, And they decided to win that game, as opposed to Wolfsburg even allowing them to come back. Because again, I think, no, I'm not disparaging, again, the first Wolfsburg goal. But I mean, if Lucy Brown doesn't make that mistake three minutes in, I think Barcelona even get the first goal in the first half. They were the better team the entire game. And they earned it Definitely. and they took it. And that is the difference between the Barca feminine and the Barca Men. And again, for those who apologize on social media, credit to you for getting it wrong. Because again, they are ruthless and they are inevitable, and they are all those words that mentally, uh, again, I yeah. think the men's team of Barca men seem a Barcelona that could take a page. And out.
2: I think, and I think it helped them. This may may seem almost like uh, antithetical, but the truth is, I, I think living the experience, having lived the experience of last year's final with everything that happened. I think it did help them mentally for this final. And I think this final will make them even stronger uh, mentally. And like I said, yeah, they're ruthless. It feels like it's inevitable. A touch of Thanos here. (laughs) But um, maybe like, and let me think, uh, because you said uh, you talked about CGH and I haven't sung her praises enough because she, I think she's a key part of that uh, ruthlessness because, you know, the way she she keeps trying and yeah, it wasn't her best for herself and Bar- uh, Wolfsburg had, you know, they, they did their homework clearly. They didn't give her a lot of space but the way she goes and goes and again and again and again and again, you know, and, and she goes like the hundredth time she does it with as much uh, momentum and as much, you know, impetuousness as the first time. Because for her it's like rinse and repeat. And it's well, yeah, it's that ruthlessness, that you know, feeling of okay, no, 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 I'm gonna get it, whether it be the, the, the first time I try it, or the twentieth, or the hundredth. And it really that kind of thing really inspires like the a whole team, I think. And I think it's she's one of the faces of this team also because you know, she 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 really like embodies that spirit and such like her it's uh, Aitana for example who was key to you know unlocking Barcelona in the second half and uh, Mariana again who like we were talking about her last time uh, and I think it was after the, the the program that I uh we were saying like she's not the fastest she's not the most skilled she's she's not the strongest even though she's she's fast she's skilled she's strong but I think there's one thing that no one else in the world can do like her, which is disrupting the game, going against the game plan in a way that is planned and creating those pockets of, pockets of space, creating those advantages. And she was able to do that in the, in the second half. And going back to Carolyn Graham Hansen, I just want to say this. Uh, I think she's in, in a very like, special, unique tier in the women's game and even in the men's game, which like talking about the women's game, I, I only see one player in the world that is like her. And That's uh, Mallory. I search the letters Mallory Swanson uh, from the United States. Lauren James of Chelsea is also very much like that, but she's still like a step below. But those two players can change a game in an instant, which is what Carolyn Graham Hansen did with their skill and their speed and their, uh, you know, their their like lack of. Well, but they're gal, so to speak, you know, because they have that gal. They have that like healthy hubris, you know, of -hmm. knowing that they can do this and they they can change a game from one moment to the other. And those two players are unique in the world in the women's game. And I also like in terms of style, I'm not talking in terms of like I don't like uh, comparing, you know, but in terms of who those players are, I only see like two or three players in the men's game that are exa- exactly like that. And I can yeah. say it's like, it's Raphael Lyon, AC Milan, mm-hmm. uh, Kylian Mbappé, PSG, like those kinds of players, you know, you know, they have the pace, the, uh, the skill to suddenly make a run and a whole defense is appended and someone or they or someone else scores and the game is won. And that is Caroline Graham Hansen, yeah. in my opinion.
1: Well, I would say as far as individual awards go, I mean, because the, the Women's World Cup is this summer, it's going to be very difficult to get a Ballon d'Or winner from Barcelona because of the World Cup taking center stage. Of course, I think the best player in that tournament is likely going to win the Ballon d'Or. And, in the, and I would say if Norway, though, here's what I'll say. If Norway, led by Caroline Graham Hansen, winds up getting to, let's say, the semifinal and is the leading goal scorer in that World Cup, even if they don't win it, Let's say there are just two teams without a a figurehead, if you will, to to get to the final or to win the World Cup. If, if again, if Norway makes some kind of magical run and gets to maybe even the quarterfinal and she had had eight goals or something and wins the, the golden boot, then obviously I think if you're Barcelona, especially, you want to start that PR machine now for Caroline Graham Hansen as your, we'll say, Ballon d'Or nominee.
2: Yeah, right? I because would I think really that's... like to see her get due recognition because in the lot, like I don't put too much stock in awards but the the truth is they matter they matter to players especially and we've seen last yeah. few years she's been like incomprehensibly snubbed for all those awards like she wasn't in yeah. the best 25 for the Ballon d'or, Ballon d'Or this year like uh for 2022, 2022 that which is that outrageous. Yeah. it's outrageous it's like outrageous. do you watch women's football do you yeah. because it's like this is when 25 players in the world <laughs> It's one of I'll the, the, correct
1: you that I don't think they watch women's football in Spain because it's very difficult to watch women's football in Spain because a lot of those stadiums are not up to snuff, a lot of those broadcasts are not up to snuff, and I think people do hold it against Barcelona for winning too much in a league. It's like why would you why would you watch a foregone conclusion if you could watch the WSL? With yeah, Ars I mean,
2: I get it, but like this is one. Of, this is not one of the. She is not one of the twenty-five best players in the world. She's one of the best. One of the ten five. best, yeah, one, the, five, one of the ten, five yeah. best.
0: She is <laughs>
2: yeah. like right. it's, and she is incomparable because there is no yeah. one like her. There is only one player like her in the whole world. That's Mallory Swanson, and I mean in terms of style and what, she, but how she can impact a game because. Those two players, and like Sophia Smith as well, Trinity, Trinity Rodman, and you have so many players that can impact the game. Of course, Viviana Midama, You have uh, Kadiria Tudiani, Marie-Antoinette Katoto, yes, and you have like uh, from Lyon, Katerina Macario. You have so many, so many, so many talented players, of course, but like that specific style, that specific way in which they impact the game. CGH and Swanson, again, those two players are unique, and they're yeah, they're yeah. definitely, most definitely every single season amongst the, the uh, top 10 players in the whole world. So it's, it, I, I really don't get the, uh, you know, how they can snub uh, yeah. CGA from those awards because it's just, you, you don't watch it clearly because otherwise she would, she would be a mainstay.
1: As a, and a programming note for Mallory Swanson, for those who've been following women's football in the U.S. for a few years now, don't be confused. Mallory Swanson, formerly Mallory Pugh. So if you're wondering, Mallory Pugh didn't get hurt or go anywhere. Well, Mallory Swanson did get hurt, and as did Carolina. like they, they have been some major injuries, too, on the U.S. women's side. Um, again, World Cup is going to have a big deal. Again, if the, 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 the U.S. women wind up winning, then you're going to look at names like, like that to potentially win. Yeah, the Smith, work Smith yeah, especially, Smith, everything yeah, Sophia Smith as well. Just, I mean, there is no, there's no containing her for 90 minutes, certainly. So two more questions before we go. Yeah. We mentioned about Barcelona and I, I do want to use the word dynasty here because now it's two in, in four years and it certainly could be, if they win next year, that'll be, that'll be three in five years, which, or three in four years, I should say. And that means a dynasty, right? Three in four years, that means that you were the team on top and the only, di- the only other dynasties we've seen, I guess you could say the back-to-back from Wolfsburg 10 years ago and then of course Lyon who dominated the entire decade right like those are the two decades those are the two European dynasties if you will that we saw again Lyon really maybe the only one credited for getting those three in, in, or more than three in the way they did It was a 7 and 10 or something like that over the last 10 years, or 12 years or whatever yeah, it's, um, but anyway it's, it's the point is <laughs> i think that the third one is actually going to be the hardest of this bunch because while experience is essential like Aitana and still in her prime, or still even entering her physical prime. Patre, the same thing. Still entering her prime. As you mentioned, yeah, Lucy Bronze is on, on the downward, but Ona is basically on her way, uh, done and dusted already, that deal. Uh, Alexia is going to be healing up, so a full, healthy, hopefully healthy year of Alexia Buteus, who is still in her prime, certainly. Still, I think she doesn't turn 30 for another year or two. And then, yeah, yeah they've... She's from 94. Gonna, 94, yeah. So then they're going to keep padding out the team as well. Expect... I, you can expect, I think, one more big forward signing, Claudia Pina. There were worries that she may never get the time. And not only has she gotten the time, but she is going to continue to be great. She is in her early 20s, still breaking in. <laughs> it, it is scary, the idea that Claudia Pina is just breaking in because another player we don't really need to go completely off on because she just played a sub role. But again, a player that got hurt. But as far as that ruthless mentality that that you want from your Barca Femini players, Claudia Pina might be the most ruthless forward in terms of just we already put their face in the mud, but we got to keep just oh, yes. putting that, pin. just keep pushing, pushing, pushing down. And that's how Claudia Pena is. That's her personality. She just wants more goals. That's what she wants. That's what she comes on the field to do. That's what she wants. And she is still getting young. So the point is, while the feminine, I think they're, they're certainly, uh, they're, they're, their, their, roster is not going to get any worse. Their squad's not going to get worse. But my argument for what makes it more difficult is kind of what we saw all season in the women's game in Europe is that Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Man City, Manchester United, Arsenal, they're Real Madrid, they're PSG, um, Lyon. There are now, I mean, to my count, nine. You can even add one or two more if you want. I mean, Roma had their moment, certainly, but I, I think they're definitely certainly a tier down. But you have at least eight or nine teams that are capable of winning Champions League. I mean, luck is going to be important, yes, but you have a lot of sides who are investing, clubs who are investing in their women's game. And I think. There is no time in women's football history where it has been deeper and has been more difficult to win. I think one of the only clubs that are really historically taking a step back is Atletico Madrid. And I would hope that they reinvest again. And I would hope that it becomes a three horse race. Well, (laughs) you could argue that it's still just Barca Femini, but Real Madrid is catching up like Mm -hmm. in the league table. Real Madrid did not lose very much. And while Barca Femini were inevitable, if not for them, then Real Madrid would have blown out the competition in the Spanish league. So, I mean, there's Real Madrid, but you hope that Atletico Madrid reinvests in that that part of their club and and tries to push forward again. But yeah, I mean, that's that's Spanish football. But overall, in Europe, it has never been deeper and has never been more difficult to win the Champions League.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's it's great to see as you know uh, a more like third party observer. You know, uh, like how many teams are getting. Stronger. Uh Lyon have always, of course, been the strongest. We can say we can still say Lyon are the best team of all time. Uh, at least right now. For now. Oh, yeah. They are the best team of all time. Period. Uh, but like seeing Bayern Munich getting stronger. Uh, they won the league again. Uh, seeing Arsenal getting stronger. What they did against Wolfsburg was amazing. Chelsea. Chelsea have some issues because they have such a strong squad, but, you know, it's not always, uh, it's like, uh, I don't want to say this, but I think it's not always, like, led in the best way possible, in my opinion. Manchester United also getting stronger. Well, you said all the names, basically. So... It's beautiful to see, to be honest, and I think that is that is going to make it more and more difficult for Barcelona to win the Champions League in future years. And I hope it gets more difficult because it means that women's football is growing ever stronger. Um, but yeah, Barcelona, like it's not mutually ex- exclusive. Barcelona are the strongest team in the world right now, and it's also can it continue being very, very difficult to beat Barcelona, especially, you know, in two games. And Barcelona are also getting stronger because you ma- you mentioned all those names and also Bruna Vidamala, who was who had a really tough injury because she, you know before that injury she was scoring goals left and right with so little game time. So, you know, Barcelona are building because you you, you they're putting down the building blocks for for a bright future. You have Salma Baraduello, who is like uh, 19, if I'm not mistaken. You have Vicky yeah. Lopez, who is uh, 16. Crazy talents. And yeah, we so didn't it, see
1: her, but she had just come off a U, was it U17? U17, yeah. Uh, U, you have U17, where she was easily Spain's best player. They wind up losing in the final, but she was arguably the player of the tournament. And yeah, Vicky Lopez is a star in the making. She I mean, is, she this is, is and when you're talking about again the men's side of things, you are talking about Gabi here. Like there is a fair comparison between Gabi and Vic, uh, Vicky Lopez because the, these are prodigies at 16 years old. Yeah. They are they're ones that are they showed up and you're like, oh, this kid is ready to go from the minute she laces up her boots. And yeah, Vicky Lopez is a future star who is not going to get anywhere. If anything, again, <laughs> and no no respect to her, but if I'm Vicky Lopez, plays a little farther forward. But if I'm Engin, I'm like oh no, like once Kiara Wall showed up uh, and if if I'm Engin, I'm like, where are my minutes going to be as Vicky Lopez earns more minutes? Because again, Patry allows you to play whatever formation you want. Whoever you want to get on the field, Patry can be one of those midfield trios and then you can get whatever formation, whatever grouping you want because Aitana is going to go where she goes. Alexia, whether she plays, as as you said, as a false nine or as an attacking midfielder, wherever you need her as one of those front two. But then you have... Kerry walsh and you have other players that can also play in that more defensive role because again if you want to play vicky lopez you can play vicky lopez and then have walsh and patry protecting her so there are iterations that you can throw and then again poor england you're gonna just, she's gonna see her minutes dry up but mm-hmm. and then speaking of vicky lopez um over the summer this is kind of the last thing to kind of bother you about it is a real shame that going off of alexia and Aitana and patry and their moment Mappy leon as i mentioned too, panos that the Spanish national team at the World Cup is going to be really disappointing for Barca fans heading into this because we will not see, Patry said it today, that she will not be the World Cup unless something drastically changes. So can you just, for those who have not been following it, break down that conflict and then where we currently stand with that conflict? Because again, Spain is not going to look like the way that any Barcelona fan would want it to look for the World Cup.
2: Yeah, so like there's uh, this group, uh, which the Spanish call Las Quince, uh, so, the 15, um, which is like a bunch of Barca players, along with some players from other teams like Atletico Madrid, uh, Real Sociedad. Uh, so, like, who were like, okay, the conditions that we have right now in the national team are not enough. Uh, we don't think, like, uh, we think that we are not being valued enough, or like we are not getting enough conditions for our value for what we know we are worth because we want to win trophies and we haven't win- won any trophy at all because these are the problems. And they listed the problems to you know to, to the federation. And you know, uh, amongst some rumors, they say they never required you know, the uh, Jorge Villa, who is the uh, Spain national team manager, they said they never required that he leave they just said that some things need to change so they were like yeah some things need to change otherwise we are not playing for the national team again and the spanish federation was like well we do not uh you know uh negotiate uh when you know with ultimatums so yeah bye bye and the players you know um so as things stand right now because there's a lot of antagonization right now um, because uh, Jorge Villa has been very he's very clearly taken a stance of I have done absolutely nothing wrong and these players are spoiled brats some of the Spanish media especially the Spanish media that you know that cares about men's football so Spanish media that is you know that cares about women's football they have all taken the players side Spanish media that knows nothing about women's football only covers men's football are like oh these spoiled brats so you know you can you can see who probably
1: i can't can't believe it that the uh institutional methods of power in spain decided to not go with the players oh my goodness exactly exactly
2: exactly and then you know there's some sus stuff like jorge villa is the uh I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying the right like position, but like the technical director of the national team, as well as the uh, and, national team yeah. manager, his parent, he, his father was, you know, a historical figure in the Spanish Federation. Vilda uh, was like uh, instrumental as well in uh, the current president of the Spanish Federation rising to power, uh, Luis Rubiales. So, like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, friendliness amongst. The Spanish Federation, the powers that be, and the powers that want to stay being, and you know, and like women's football is still uh, sort of small, so the players, unfortunately, are still the ones with the least power, and they tried to make a change. They were villainized. For, for, for wanting to, to make that change. So they were ousted from the national team entirely. And, you know, some they, the national team had some decent results. So they were like, see, we don't need them, though they are the problem, which is totally false. So as things stand, we are not having, we're not going to watch at the World Cup players like Mapi Leon, Patrick Guijarro, Mariana Caldente, Aitana Bonmati, like, I'm thinking of more names, but those are the ones I can remember right now.
1: Yeah, I, the list I have is Isona is Bate from Manchester United, yes. Atana, Mariona, Patri, Mappy León, Leila, former Barcelona player in exactly. Man City, Sandra Panos, Andrea Pereira, who's now at Club, uh, Club America, who was at Barcelona last exactly. year, Pina, but we'll have to see too, because then there have been Barcelona players that have been re- named to recent squads, including Ari yes. Paredes, including uh, Lea Cordina, including Jana Fernandez. So you on the younger side for Barcelona, including yes. Maria Perez. Who's uh,
2: a Lea Cordina was like, it, it was a bit controversial because she's like, you know, uh, she wasn't one of the uh, 15, which you know, right. caused some controversy. And then you have like the Real Madrid players. And well, let me just say like, it's not, I, I do not want to villainize any player at all. So, like, I think the players are always, like, and and especially in Real Madrid's case, I think they're being, like, instrumentalized a bit, you know, because um, to create that uh, impression that it's Barcelona and the Barcelona players, uh, you know, to, to villainize them and they're using maybe allegedly... Uh, you know, the real real madrid players you know create this narrative of rivalry that is just not uh fair I mean, or true. What
1: blew it up, blew it up was that Aitana, after that first El Clasico, after all this went down, did not shake the hand of Misa Rodriguez and that or the goalkeeper for real madrid, yeah. and the Spanish national team, and that kind of set all this in motion as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it to me, it doesn't seem like there is a resolution coming. So, again, the Spain that you're going to see at the world cup is not the Spain that you would expect exactly. to see your accustomed to see um so i
2: mean in, ours- it was reinstated by the way because she went through an especially difficult time because she was named at first she was named as the uh, figurehead of the revolution you know but in, yeah. in, in a negative light and then she was actually reinstated which created even more like you know i think it was a, a way uh and this is my personal interpretation because i think she was so uh, uh villainized uh, like so, so vilified these those like first few months for being you know the leader of the revolution that you know i think she tried to like sort of protect herself and i think she did it with sort of the blessing of those other players because you know to to protect her to protect her image to protect you know because she, she was crying at some point in a press conference about that. So I think it was, yeah, it was a way to protect her to to you know protect her image, protect her her, her mental health as well. And I think she had like not that she, she needed because I, I'm not in there, but it feels like she had the blessing of the other players, you know, to be like, no, 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 just take care of yourself, protect yourself, be there, shut up some people who said you you were like you know the uh, the head of this. And yeah, but. She was reinstated but a lot of, a lot of other players are not and they've actually like uh, vilified Mariona for example who is a very like <laughs> um, she has a very normal person feel so to speak you know um, and they were like apparently she is one of the uh, one of the worst amongst the 15 so you know there has been a lot of narratives going <laughs> going around and yeah, the bottom line is you're not going to see a lot. Left- we still don't know, don't know about Alexia because she was she just came uh, from injury. So we haven't, yeah, she hasn't ha- even had an opportunity to be called up. So we don't know. But yeah, you're not going to see a Barcelona-ish Spain at the World Cup. You're going to see a lot of youngsters who are very, very good, by the way. And let's not, uh, you know, take the take this out on the players who are going because I think that would be very unfair Uh, you know, players, it's like, it's any player's dream to, to play the World Cup. So it's like, I can't blame anyone, anyone for, for, you know, for, for chasing that dream. I think it's just, again, it's like you said, it seems institutions, the institutions being unfair to the players, treating them uh, like garbage. And then, you know, uh, when the players try to do something about it, they, try to create this nav- narrative that vilifies those players and then, you know, tries to like create this rivalry between uh, players and between clubs. It actually isn't, it's not like that. So a lot of players are maybe being instrumentalized to, you know, to, to benefit that narrative. And it's, it's a pity because, you know, you always want to see the best players at the greatest stages. And um, it's just, it's sad, honestly, because, uh, who can blame anyone for fighting for their rights? You know, we all, we all can sympathize with that. I think.
1: Yeah. And so again, the world cup is what's up next for a few of the Barca Femini players. I think more than anything else, again, you want health because again, the club season, not to say for I mean, what is the case usually for international football, the club season I hope is just as important or more important than the World Cup for a lot of these feminine players. So hopefully they stay healthy. There's been way too many injuries this season in the women's game. So hopefully again, everybody, not just Barcelona players, but everybody stays healthy for the World Cup. I can hit the ground running for what is going to be an exciting next season again for the Barcelona Feminine. So and yes, I, I know that you'll be back to help us out with that here on the show, but um, for your work in the last what, five days to help me out here on the show. I really, really appreciate all your it's time.
2: It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So if you're still here after that conversation with Ines and you came just for a little bit of a self Vigo review, I did just talk about Messi. And I know there are big changes that have come down today that Jorge Messi and Juan Laporta have met. And things are happening. A lot of bombas. And not the fake ones, the wet ones I said, but real ones. There are real substantial movement on the Messi stuff. And And as the seconds and moments are going by, things are changing. So let's wait for the dust to settle for a few days, and then we'll talk about all that on the second show this week. But for the remainder of the show, I know it's over an hour for you podcast listeners, but here's the audio if you did not watch the video from the Barca-Celta review, because this is pretty much, again, a 2-1 loss to end the season. With that friendly game happening tomorrow morning where a bunch of those youngsters from the U18s, U19s that we did not see against Hilton Vigo, they will likely get their debut. A lot of them have been named to that squad to travel to Japan. So certainly I think we are going to see them because again, there's also unlimited subs in that game or 11 subs, whatever the friendly, whatever it is. So we likely will see them in the second half of that game against uh, Andres Iniesta in his testimonial match as He heads off into his sunset. So I will likely if I can find a feed and I can actually watch it and care about it, I'll likely have some kind of video coming out tomorrow about the Vissel Kobe friendly so there's a lot of content this week and the train will not stop again whether or not I find just a few highlights or actually I fully watch the match we'll have to see what I can find about that but again without further ado here because it'll be gone in a second is that Celta Vigo review Barcelona will be back at it on Tuesday in a friendly in Japan which I guess I'll cover maybe begrudgingly but La Liga is officially in the books And while there isn't too many things to talk about, maybe we learned a thing or two, maybe we didn't. Let's find out with those five headlines from Barcelona's 2-1 loss to Celta de Vigo. Headline one is that Ter Stegen doesn't get the record. He was supposed to, with a clean sheet, become the all-time leader in the Liga Clean Sheets. But ends season stuck at 26, so tied for the all-time record, 1993-94 Paco Liano from Deportivo La Corunia. Those two will forever be, well, at least until maybe next season when he can try to break it again. But they are now the co-holders of that record in La Liga. However, it feels like a formality, but Ter Stegen is going to win the Zamora Trophy for the first time in his career for the most clean sheets in the league, and Robert Lewandowski is going to win that Pachichi Trophy for most goals in the Liga. So congratulations to those two to get those individual awards. But focusing back on the game, the reason why Ter Stegen saw his clean sheet record thrown away was Celta's first goal. Both these teams kind of felt like they were up to it for Barcelona. again. Yeah, maybe they have some players fighting for spots, but as Xavi said after the game, Things have pretty much already been decided who is who for next season and now it's all about getting that business done. They still don't know who's going to be leaving and who could be on their way. There are still a lot of question marks, sure, but I think players have an idea of where they fit in the bigger Barcelona system, whether they're staying or not. For Celta, staying is the important thing here. They were fighting against relegation, of course. So Celta's swarming, trying to press, trying to find their moments, but not leave themselves too exposed in this game. And I think that first goal encapsulates those ideas for Celta. They crowded the midfield, forced a young turnover, and quickly go the other way. Gabriel Viega, who we'll talk about later. He's a good finish here for his 10th league goal. First touch got him past Alonso in the tight angle shop before Christensen could reach him. And as I said, we'll get to the 21-year-old in a minute because that doesn't mean that Barcelona, once the clean sheet was gone, they still had their chances though. This one didn't necessarily have to be in the books. Even by that first half whistle, Barca had their chances. They just kind of flubbed them today. They had that first almost goal. Alonso from the left. Unai Nunez fails to clear. Lewandowski miss it on the cross. Falls perfectly to Kessi. But that one, unfortunately, was thrown out to the offside. Headline two is team needs. I think the only Barcelona thing that was kind of glaring from this match was the same thing that we've been seeing for the last few weeks since Barcelona did grab that Liga title and it was all done and dusted numerically is that Barcelona is missing depth in their squad, and they have some team needs. to this first touch made you question his future. Eric Garcia, a number of times this game, especially when he was at the pivot before he moved back to center back, telling you and showing you that he is not a ball winner, and he is not ultimately the answer to Barcelona's pivot woes. Certainly not. Maybe he can add depth if he's still around next season to both center back and pivot. But again, you're going to be going down your depth chart before you get to Eric Garcia. It was also kind of frustrating. I feel like players have done their homework and done their tape, and they're beginning to flop against Eric Garcia in 50-50 duels, as if they know that the referees are looking for Eric Garcia, or to have some issues physically going mano-a-mano, and so players are trying to take advantage of that, and fortunately, this referee didn't fall for it. The sequence that summed this game up to me was the back-to-back misses, though. I know it ended 2-1. But one for Carlos Perez and one for Frank Kessie. Kessie gives it away. Perez pushes on the counter. and Instead of playing in a teammate, he lets a poor shot fly. And then the other way, Lewandowski delivered to the back post. Kessie just missed the header. To me, that summed up the first half action where Celta, they looked like they were close to it before the goal, of course, but Barcelona looked like they were even closer. Xavi did try to throw some wrinkles in there, switching Ferran Torres and Rafinha about midway through that first half, and then for the second half, he switched them right back. Clearly, that wasn't working, but it does bring up the problem in those team needs that Barcelona have too many right-wingers, and the idea that they're going to add Messi back is either right-in-tier or right-winger, and they're going to jettison Ansu Fati. Well, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. Headline three is Celta's jewel fights off relegation. Before I go back to Barcelona, let's head back to Celta de Vigo, because I really do think the focus here needs to be about Gabri Viega, and not necessarily so much him, because the 21-year-old, of course, does get the brace. Poor Gnaki Pena comes on. I don't know how much more he could have done about that goal, but certainly doesn't cover himself in glory, because right when he comes on for Teixeira that's when Celta de Vigo scored their second and winds up being the game-winner. He was definitely caught out by what he thought was a cross. Well, I guess it was a cross, but it goes in the back of the net. A really fortunate, fortunate hit for Gabriel Viega to get his second, and more importantly for Celta De Vigo, looking to avoid relegation with this one. I want to keep saying that, that it was more important for them than Inaki Pena not being able to put that or put a nice save on his reel. And oh, why I do want to talk about Gabri Viega here, he has a 40 million euro release clause, a 21-year-old tacky midfielder. He is way too expensive for Barcelona to go for that position in an need again, they're either going to bring Messi, which has a high interior on that right side, that's who you're going to take, or that is Pedri's spot. They have Pablo Torre there as well as a backup. If they, not say truly need somebody, but Gabi can also play there, that seems like one spot on the field. Even looking at Alex Garrido that seems like a position that they're gonna trust from the Academy or anybody else. Again, Messi would be another option there instead of 40 million euros. That's not where the positions of need certainly are in this team. Now, I think he could go to Real Madrid, yes, but I also think that might be the worst thing for his career. I don't see where Gabriel Viego would necessarily fit for Real Madrid, because I don't think they're gonna give him the proper run out. To me, he looks and reminds me a lot of Danny Ceballos, who had played for Real Betis before making that move to Real Madrid. And yes, he had to find himself on loan for a while. And I think for going to Real Madrid, Gabriel Viega might have to do the same thing. Again, at 21, which is even older than Danny Ceballos, when he made the move originally signing for Real Madrid, I think he would be much more suited to go to the Premier League, where he's almost guaranteed a starting spot week in and week out and, and playing in that league than, than playing for Real Madrid. And it will be sad to see, as Diego Aspas is truly on his last legs, He wasn't that talismanic figure this season. They had a young, homegrown talent step into that position had 11 goals on the season and in helping them avoid relegation is going to have his story told in bars in Vigo for quite some time. So I would love to see him stay. He doesn't have to stay and become a legend of the club like others. Look at Iago Aspas. He tried it out. He went off and then came back home. And I would like to see Gabri Viega do a similar thing. Maybe not flop as bad as Iago Aspas did when he went to Liverpool, but it would be cool to see a homegrown talent stay with Celta de Vigo at least next season when he's 22 years old in his second, we'll say, breakout season. But the counter argument is that he will never be better or never be worth more to Salta De Vigo than he is at this moment. Teams are already willing to pay that 40 million euro release clause, and Salta De Vigo, especially from a Premier League team, might be able to get even a little more out of him. So do your business, Salta De Vigo, and maybe they can use that money to reinforce and keep themselves up next year with a little more depth throughout the squad. So that certainly is the counter argument for why you cash in on your homegrown talent now. Headline 4 is Ansu's what-if. In that second half, we saw Ansu, we saw Dembele coming off the bench, trying to get some kind of result for Barcelona. We'll talk about why the young kids didn't feature in the second here, but I do think the focus is on Ansu Fati. Because when we saw Ferran Torres and Rafinha, two players that are most comfortable on the right wing, and then Dembele, who's also not even most comfortable on the right wing, but most dangerous on the right wing. Especially with that cross in on the goal, coming on his left foot, the fact that from that right side, he can cross in with an outswinging ball with his right foot, or he can cross in from that right side with an in ball on his left. Players like Lewandowski like to start on the left and then come in. That's why their partnership, Lewandowski and Dembele's, was so good when they were both on the field. Well, that being Dembele was on the field and healthy, Lewandowski was always on the field, but even Ansu. It seems like Ansu on the left works best when Dembélé is on the right, because Ansu Fati, with all the attention and that defense moving over to shift their focus to Dembélé, he gets a little more space in the box, just a bit, behind Lewandowski. And that's the space that he found for that goal for Barcelona today. An easy header, as I said, that cross on the left foot from Dembélé. And that does make you wonder, what if Ansu Fati on that left wing, let's say Messi doesn't come, and Ansu gets a long run out as the starting left winger at Barcelona, Starts on the left, Lewandowski in the middle, and Dembele on the right. In theory, that gives you the best version of Ansu Fati, and even this worst version of Ansu. His stats this season, I mean, I think it's because of expectations. I don't know what people expected of him coming back from such a dire injury, but Ansu was joint second on the team in the Liga goals this season behind Robert Lewandowski. Ansu had seven goals in the Liga this season, and more importantly, even as a super sub, Ansu Fati, in the course of his career, is a valuable goal scorer for Barcelona. Great stat by Ansu stats on Twitter, 21 of Ansu Fati's 29 Barca goals, 72% of them were scored within 25 minutes of him being on the pitch. Ansu is still numerically a difference maker, even after what we all called a down year. It's just that you're playing against the expectations. So I think maybe there is an argument that he goes elsewhere, figures some things out, and then comes back, but as my fear with Ansu is, That guy is too much of a star. Even at 20 years old, he is too much of a star to leave and never return. And finally, headline five, what happens to young players thinking about Ansu and his trajectory? Of course, when they're players on the bench, we saw Gabi come on the field as a sub as well. People are like, ah, we want to see the other kids, we want to see the other kids. Totally understandable, but on the other side, for something to be go, if you're Carlos Pérez, if you're Oscar Mungueta, maybe you're whispering into those players that they saw, those 17 and 18-year-olds on the bench saying, hey, maybe the grass might be greener elsewhere, just think about it in your careers. But certainly the players that were brought along by Xavi from the U19 and U18, because Barca Athletic did wind up getting a 4-2 victory over Real Madrid-Castilla, so they have one more match, a return leg against them, to figure out if they're going to move on to the next phase of the playoff. Unfortunately, with Celta winning, that means a Celta not being relegated meant that Celta de Vigo B can still find themselves in the Segunda Division, so that means that Barca Athletic will have to play another round after Real Madrid Castilla to potentially get promoted. They wouldn't get automatically promoted in the place of Celta de Vigo B after beating Real Madrid Castilla. I know that's really confusing. All you need to know is Barca Athletic have at least with a 4-2 victory of Real Madrid Castilla in the first leg, have done their job in the promotion to get one step closer <laughs> to promotion. That's all you need to know. Le Minimal coming off the bench for that one, he's focused on the matches I guess that matter as opposed to the first team one that doesn't as much and that's why you didn't see any Barca Athletic guys. I think it'd be a totally different story if Marc Casado, Estanis Pedrola, Chadi Riad were just kind of stuck on the bench for a match like this, the Barca Athletic players who in theory age-wise should be pushing into the first team but the players we didn't see. Mark G, Paul Prim, Danny Rodriguez and Unai Hernandez, those are all U19 and U18 players. Paul Prim played most of this season with Juvenel Bay, not even with Juvenel A. So I know people are very excited about him as the pivot of the future, but these players were brought on an away trip in the Liga with the first team just to get a lay of the land. We see this all the time. Xavi is no different. Xavi is not stunting any youth development or anything like that by not playing 17 and 18-year-olds who this season, again, were not making the jump from the U19s like Gabi did, like Ansu Fati did, like Pedri would have, or like Pedri actually did for Las Palmas. No, these are players who played all season long with U18s Really, generally the U18s, and then also a few appearances of the U19s. And it was also a reward for them coming back from the U17 Euros. And yeah, they didn't win the whole tournament. They crashed out in the semifinal to France. But along with Luminium All, all of this group had a really promising tournament. Instead, that fifth sub went to Pablo Torre, who had another nice little cameo. Unlike Ansu who I said I can't imagine coming back, Pablo Torre, I very much can easily see returning to Barcelona in a year's time. Who knows where he's going to go on loan? Likely someplace in Spain, where there is one of the teams in yellow. Just hope it's not Cadiz. But anyway, I think that'll do it for this Liga season. Of course, we're not done here. We've got to break down the season. i got to figure out who's the best of the best, run through all the Superlives, and I think that's going to be a number of different shows. And of course, the transfer stuff is really heating up. If you missed my messy news video and the update on all that, check that out. That was the most recent one on the channel. And as always, until next time, sports of our